Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Good evening, or morning, whatever time you choose to listen to Dark Knight of the Podcast. Good day. How about we try that? Good day, listeners. Or good evening. Again, either way. It's Roger, you know, and I'm already bumbling and fumbling and sounding like a fool. But I'm here with you, and we're going to we're gonna lock this one down, because, oh boy, do we have a conversation piece for you. And I made a grave error going into this review. I decided to pair this title with another film that happens to focus heavily on the topic at hand, which is prom. We're covering Prom Night, the remake, in case you guys didn't pick up on it. And I decided to pair this title with that brand new Rebel Wilson (laughs) movie that came out on Netflix called Senior Year. That is also very very heavily prom-centric, and it, let me tell you, did not pair well. Neither of the movies are good. That movie isn't that fucking great. I definitely think that Rebel Wilson is <laughs> needs to find a new shtick, because this does not seem to be working for her these days. But, um, I, listen, after that, I never want to see another prom ever again. These are two movies that use and abuse prom and the importance of what it is, what it represents to teenagers, they really overdo it quite a lot, and it makes for two very unlikable movies, both within completely different genres, but very hard films to watch. Well, I never imagined I'd hear Rebel Wilson being brought up in one of our podcasts. Well, lucky you. <laughs> lucky me. I have not I have not watched that. I, I have not watched the Rebel Wilson, whatever, what is it called? Prom? Prom? Prom week? What you uh, say? It's, it's called prom? senior year. Senior year. Okay. Okay. I haven't watched it yet, so I've been I've been quite busy watching prom night two thousand eight to get my notes in order because I feel like you know this is going to be a very deep discussion because this film has so many layers to it, Roger. I mean, it's just goddamn. You have to really pay attention to be able to dissect this film. Uh, I mean, <laughs> <It's> Troy. <laughs> This movie, this I've never seen a movie that's really just taken the concept of prom and beat it over the head mercilessly. As a viewer, I feel as though I'm just being barraged by prom-related imagery the entire time. Prom Night, the original Prom Night, yes, the prom was a major element of what was happening, but it's not the only thing that was happening in the movie. I mean, there are other things to a certain extent. This movie is just an onslaught of bad music of the era and tacky prom decor. I have so much to say about this film. Um, God, I don't even know where to start. So yeah, I mean the, this film, I, I will start by saying this, this film really feels like it almost did not, didn't really have a script <laughs> that they just kind of let these actors loose through them at this, through them in this, 
you know, prom set and just like, hey, wander up to your hotel room every once in a while. And from that's all the direction I'm giving you. We'll just see what we can come up with uh, because this movie could become so repetitive and just nothing, nothing of any interest happens in this film. And I can't imagine that. You know, I mean, Scream Gen put this out and, you know, yeah, they were putting out some crap in the in the mid 2000s, especially in the remake. But God damn it. Yeah, I mean, yes. I can't imagine like who read this script and this is it. This is this is what we're doing. There are so many cringy things about this film. Number one being that the fucking killer is a teacher. Who is obsessed with a, a student. I, I, mean, I think the biggest upset is the fact that this dared to call itself prom night, but it took absolutely zero influence from the original prom night, which while I wouldn't say the original prom night is the best of the best, the original prom night also has multiple sequences that really succeed and a really great likable lead in, I mean, Old Faithful herself, she keeps chugging along that Jamie Lee Curtis. I mean, but <laughs> I, I, I enjoy the original prom night um, and it's charming the characters are charming. It It's a fun movie to watch. This is not. <laughs> the The original prom night has some, uh, some nice atmosphere to it. It feels very much high school. There's a lot of tension filled scenes uh, and, and it does not rely. Like you mentioned, Roger, it does not rely on the prom as its sole crutch in the film. Um, you can't have a 90 minute film that is literally prom. I mean, particularly this particular prom with all of these very bland, uninteresting characters that we are forced to follow. There's only one character in this entire film that I give one shits about. And I can tell you it's not Donna and it has nothing to do with Brittany snow. I, she's capable. She does a, she does okay with this, role i mean nothing spectacular she she does what i guess the script asks her to do the only character that has any sort of uh likability any sort of charisma is lisa played by i have to mention this played by my hometown girl dana davis who grew up in davenport iowa and actually graduated from the high school that i did my student teaching at look at you one degree (laughs) <laughs> one degree of separation between me and Dana Davis. But for me, she is the she's the most interesting thing about the film. But then that is even problematic because she's severely underutilized. And she, yeah, she gets the she, she gets the best chase scene in the film. But come on, that is not saying much considering this film has zero chase scenes besides yeah. hers. Yeah, I mean, like, honestly, let's really let's sit down and dissect the the many flaws right now, because what's shocking, Troy, is the fact that how many areas this movie does fail and everyone's going to know it. The people that are tuning into this are tuning into this for a fucking reason. Like, let's be honest. But like across the board, this movie struggles in so many areas. I hate the fucking soundtrack, except for that opening number. I love that. Oh yeah, I, I I do like the I do like the the I mean the can we okay well before <laughs> let's get into the film but we're gonna do our we're gonna do our weekly little shout out because I do want to um mention again every week we mention the Patreon but I feel like I definitely want to hit it hard this this episode because we got a really good um May 
episode up where we discussed uh, our favorite horror couples. And we came up with some pretty, I think between the two of us, we came up with some pretty obscure ones that you don't hear mentioned all the time. And I was very proud of us that we didn't go the cliched route. So we have lots of good quality bonus episodes available on our Patreon. So please, please, please check it out. Patreon.com slash dark night of the podcast uh for two dollars a month you get access to our one bonus mini episode a month plus you get to find out what are before anybody else you get to find out what films we're covering a month ahead of time right for five dollars you get access to the mini episode and a talking body new segment New segment. Well, we have some reviews. And then, yeah, th- so just check it out. We have some great stuff. We have like 25 bonus episodes up there, including yeah. several full-length reviews. Our full-length review for May will be The Fourth Kind, because last month we covered uh, Dark Skies with Carrie Russell. Before that, we covered Blood Frenzy. We've covered Obsessed. We've covered Terrifier. We've covered Repo the Genetic Opera. So check it out if you cannot get enough of our I mean, voices. At this point, I'm can't imagine making any more time for our voices, but people are doing it. And you know why? It's because it's good fucking material. And I do want to mention, because I, I actually belong to, I am a huge true crime fan and I have, I obsessively listen to true crime podcasts and I have my favorites that I do support through Patreon. I, I belong to uh, a handful of true crime podcast Patreons to get their bonus episodes. And it can be kind of a pain because you have to go to the website to be, to be able to hear the episodes. But I'm going to give you a little hint. Patreon has an app. Just download the app onto your smartphone and you will be able to listen to the episodes right from the app. So it's almost like you're listening to them through like Apple Podcasts or, or Stitcher or whatever. You just, you're just using the Patreon app. It makes it a lot simpler. So you can listen to them on your phone, on the go. So you don't have to go to the website. little hint because I, I learned that trick, you know, having belonged to um several uh patrons for true Support, supporting his favorites i am supporting my favorites as, as you guys should do and if you don't want to do that remember apple podcast five star reviews we need them we need them we do we need you guys to come out and support we're gonna make sure it's worth your while my god i mean we keep on bringing that good shit and don't even get us started on what's coming in july first of all we're not going to tell you quite yet but just get ready. Oh God, we have some great stuff coming in July. So stay tuned. But I think that people are getting anxious that have tuned in because they really want to hear us talk about prom night. So I don't understand. Who, who, who are you? Who are you? That's waiting to listen to this review because you know exactly what's going to happen. (laughs) No surprises here. No, but you know what? I will say this, Troy. I I will say this, and I'm genuinely meaning this. I'm I'm going to this review specifically specifically looking for moments that are not awful. Um, there are a few. So this will be about a thirty second episode, folks. You heard it here first. Our shortest episode. No, well, I mean, to start off right from the bat, and I, I this is the perfect segue because I was talking about I hate the score in this movie, except for the cover of uh it's that time of the season for loving it's this like very eerie off-putting ominous cover of this classic song that really sets this mood a mood that does not carry through the rest of the film mind you i i i will say this the opening of this film is not bad however 
the, I feel like the opening film sets the film up for something that it completely doesn't follow through with. The opening scene is actually pretty disturbing, you know, and I do love you get you get a you get a nice aerial view of this very picturesque town as as it's following the SUV that is taking Lisa home through this town that's very picturesque. There's bridges, there's waterfalls, and yes, the cover of Time of the Sea is playing. Very beautiful opening. Uh, the cursive writing for the prom night uh, title card and the, the the actors' names. It looks very very clean and just very classy. And then you get to the, you get to the SUV dropping. Who we find out is Donna, played by Brittany Snow. Who bless her heart has got, has let's let's give her a little shout out because she had a resurgence uh, of popularity in the genre as of recently, right? Starring in Ty West's. Ex. Let me just say it right now. Okay, I am I am pro Britney Snow. I fucking love hairspray. I love anything this girl's gonna bring to the table. This may not be her her strongest performance, but I don't consider it any fault of Britney Snow's. I can I I blame the script. I blame the people behind the project. I don't blame her. She is pure and demure and virginal and just lovely, and and she's quite a little actress. And there are a few moments that her reactions here are so much better than the rest of what's going on around her, that she's really the only thing that makes a few of the moments actually gel uh, for me when they really should not. I will say that. Yeah. And I guess I don't, I don't have a problem with her at all. Her performance is fine. Uh, she does have a few moments towards the film's climax where it, it does reach, you know, almost great. I don't have a problem with her. I, I, I don't necessarily like oh, the character. God, yeah. The character it's the character itself herself never does anything to like draw me in or or make me and I know it's something horrible happens to her but it, there's just something there's a disconnect between like we're supposed to care about this character but then you're never really given anything to care about her for simply other than her parents were killed. Well, you know, Troy, I I, I would love to uh, kind of go off of that because I, I have a, a very specific issue with her in the sense of by the numbers, when you look at it, it, sh- it should work. But then you, you realize that the only thing they gave this character was her trauma. And the term trauma comes up with the final girl all the time. You know, it's just associated with who they are and who they become. But if you look at other successful final girls they are more than their trauma and by giving her this trauma right at the beginning of the film and allowing that to be the only thing that defines who donna is donna is literally just trying to like figure out her day-to-day how to coexist with other students around her living the life that she's led going through what she's gone through She's trying to basically learn to be a teenager living in this world with a severe trauma that haunts her. And it's it's really interesting, but it also is just very by the numbers. And that's my big issue. It's very by the numbers. We've seen this before. We've seen it done better to stronger degrees, exploring more in depth what the character goes through and the, the reactions they have to it. All Donna has is the fact she experienced a trauma and it makes her life kind of difficult. Well, and based on her experience, this should be a very three-dimensional layered yes, character. Yes, yes. 
and it's not at all. Uh, let's get to what her trauma is, okay? She gets dropped off by who we find out is her best friend, Lisa, played by Dana Davis, and her mother. Uh, there is a brief conversation about uh, Donna's not going to try out for cheerleading tryouts this particular school year because her mother doesn't think it's a great idea with what's been happening. Okay, now, it's never really brought up at that particular moment like what the issue is, although we do find out. But what happens is she goes inside, she goes up, the house is quiet, the TV's on, she's calling for her dad. We, the audience, do see that her father is on the living room floor dead. She goes upstairs to her brother's room, opens his bedroom door, she trips over his baseball bat, of course, is like, oh, you little butthole, I almost tripped over that, you need to quit leaving your stuff laying everywhere. And her little brother's laying in bed. And he doesn't respond. So she goes over to him and and like shakes him, flips him over. And we see that her little brother is dead. He's been stabbed. The whole front of him is bloody. Now, this is the moment where I'm like, fuck, yes, this this movie is really going there. We're showing a dead little eight year old kid. Yes. okay. I I thought not that I want to see a dead kid, but, you know, I was like, okay, okay, this movie is definitely not holding back. And then it follow. I mean, and then it follows up with a very, what I would say, a very disturbing scene. Uh, she hears a, a man's voice downstairs yelling at her mother. She immediately goes and hides under the bed for the first of many times in the film that this character is under the bed. I'm wondering if that was required to audition. Was like the director, the casting director, was like brought all these actresses in. It was like, okay, which one of you can crawl under the bed the fastest? You got the part. Because this bitch is under the, she's either in the bed or in the closet this entire fucking movie. (laughs) She she does have good survivalist mentalities. I'll say that. Like, that's one thing. If we're going to give her any, check off any boxes, she does manage to, you know, survive for longer periods of time than the rest of the people in her life. (laughs) Because she allows them to die as she hides silently under a bed or in a closet. Uh, In this case, under a bed, as she watches... Uh, a rather traumatic moment in which her mother is thrown to the ground and mounted by what ends up being the antagonist of the film. <laughs> I was going to I'm going to make an inappropriate say, I have, comment. <laughs> I'm going to say when you, I, I was going to say he can mount me I anytime. Mean, <laughs> that's, but that's the problem. That's the problem with this killer is this killer is the it's least, coming. least intimidating. This oh, guy's fucking hot. Oh my God. It's he's not he's so not intimidating because all he is is just beautiful. Like, listen, those lips, I want to chew on those lips like bubble gum. <laughs> okay, this fucker with his full pout, his crazy eyes, which I find sexy. I don't know about you, Troy. I like a little crazy in the eye. The only thing that's problematic with this guy is that a. Obviously, I'm assuming that this is you know pedophilia because i'm guessing this girl is supposed to be 14 15 so that's a problem but also the whole yeah the stalker element yes that is not appealing either if you would remove that he goddamn (laughs) what a catch this fucker he's super invested in the person he loves i mean that's appealing i like when people dote on me or will chase me to the end of the earth uh and he looks fucking good doing it even with long shaggy hair and nobody looks good with a shag so i don't know i mean he wins more than he loses for me in this movie which is a problem because he's supposed to be the villain yeah he's supposed to be the villain but there is just yeah like i said there's nothing really scary about him but yeah, he's her. He stabs her mother as she watches on from under the bed, and then cut to 
her years later in her therapist's office discussing that she's having these dreams about the the night come they're coming back she wasn't having them for a while but now these dreams are coming back and her therapist her therapist tells her you know these traumatic dreams dreams based on a traumatic experience will come back at a heightened moment in your life and you know you're getting ready to graduate and move on to college so you have a lot of emotions brewing so it makes sense that these dreams are going to come back and 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 haunt you however you'll be fine the guy's put away he's 3000 miles away all he can do is is haunt you in your dreams you're fine and that's that they and you know there. you know of course this woman is going to be dead fucking wrong i'm surprised they didn't kill her too because they, they they're basically trying to kill everyone off in this whole fucking movie about 90 percent of the random extras just die for no reason oh my god um, <laughs> just all these like the you can't have a job in this movie without being killed the maid the butler the bus boy everybody's dying the maintenance crew i don't know but <laughs> and and again on paper this should all work like you know they're taking the time to kind of let her explore this this moment with the psychiatrist and it really like it seems like it's building up to something that should work and i just don't understand really what goes wrong but then i know exactly what goes wrong and we are going to be touching on it a lot i'm not going to say it now because troy you know the biggest issue with this film i know it too listeners you all know it and when we get to it it is going to be a big focus but moving forward Another issue I have with this movie is it we mentioned this before but it really lets the prom aspect of the film go step to the forefront in place of the horror. And that's really problematic cuz I'm sorry but nobody wants to see a mid 2000s prom ever ever. Like it is so difficult watching the prom sequences in this movie. Uh, the music is horrible. It makes me hate the era I grew up in. It makes me hate how people looked, like how we acted. It's just really like, it's not a fun experience. And one of the biggest things about any movie revolving around a prom is it's, it needs to make that like feel fun. And nothing leading up to this prom, in my opinion, ever feels fun. No, it's very by the numbers. It's like they watched... You know, I don't know. I don't think they watched the original, to be honest with you. What I think they probably watched was Carrie. They're like, oh, what's a movie that has a prom in it? Carrie. Okay, so what do we need to have these characters do before they get to the prom? Oh, we need to have them sit in a salon and talk about how pretty their dresses are. Because that's exactly the next scene. Yep. The three girls sitting in the salon. It's right out of Carrie yep. talking about, oh, what's your dress look like? Oh, look at your hair. So, And they, her hair looks exactly the same as it did at the beginning God. of the movie. She, this bitch was in the, the salon chair for how long? And her hair looks exactly oh the same. It's like strange. And, they, and they're like, what do you think? And she's like, I love it. I'm like, you do? I'm like, you do? I could have I could have done that. Give me some rubber bands. Let me step in. Where this, this broad behind you, this day player number seven, who obviously has never touched a woman's hair in reality. This woman is not in any way working in a salon. She barely touches this girl's hair and she looks just the same. It made me so mad. All three of them, they all, none of them look prom ready. I'm sorry. I went to seven, I went to seven fucking proms and none of them were my own. I went to seven proms. I was that gay friend. I saw the hair in that era, Troy. 
there was a lot of braids. There was a lot of clips. There was a lot of rhinestones. There was none of it was simple. It was all very elaborate. Lots of gelled pieces. You know what I'm talking about, Troy? Like the hard gel. Like, oh, I do. And this this is the 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 most boring, lazy. It's lazy, lazy, <laughs> lazy. This is costume and hair design. <laughs> Well, you know what? I can see why because it would be a, you know, if they were if they were to get these actresses to have these beautiful, you know, illustrious hairstyle, elaborate hairstyle, trying to maintain that through the entire filming time would be a little bit difficult. But don't sit there and act like these are the like you're making these girls look in the mirror and act like they're fucking look beautiful when their hair looks exactly just as stringy as it did the scene before. Troy, Jamie Lee Curtis learned multiple disco dance numbers for the original prom. <laughs> I'm sure that. The- hair team could afford to recreate a style for a, what I'm assuming what was maybe a four day film shoot. <laughs> I think, I think they spent all the money on the location, that, that hotel, hotel, that ballroom hadn't been, which cheap. did not need to um, be that. Elaborate. We, Oh, I have, oh, I have some issues with that. Right. We're going to get there. Okay. So the girls, they're, they're sitting in a salon. Uh, there is a moment where Donna looks out the window. They also watched Halloween. She looks out the window and she sees the killer standing across the street, staring. Oh, at and her. that sets off a trap trend of very like again by the numbers seen it before startle scares that happen over the course of this movie it's always built up around donna's anxiety because donna makes it clear she's struggling with some shit she's taking pills she chooses to not take the pills during the dance i get it i've been there you know i've struggled with my mental illness and i've definitely made choices to go off meds at times i actually like that story arc for her but it's also by the numbers and it also allows them to have what is a series of like just cliche startle tropes over and over. She bumps into a lamp. She bumps into a person. She bumps into a wall. <laughs> she bumps into a body. <laughs> and, and, and it's always the reaction is always, Whoa! and it's like never, you know, it's never like, it's never as good as it should be. So this kind of gives that, like, this is like the gateway to that. Her having these like kind of heightened startles, they never really land. Well, no, because then it, we, we we cut to her at home looking in the uh, medicine cabinet. She's going to get a pill bottle out of her medicine cabinet, but she decides not to, and she puts it back. And as you mentioned, jump scare number 30. She shuts the medicine cabinet, and right behind her is her aunt, and we get that sting, the man. jump scare. Uh, the jump scare yeah, yeah. Uh, th- by the way, that aunt, she was in Glee season one. Remember her? I love her. I love this broad. Uh, she... <laughs> she only ever plays this role. She only ever plays like moms and aunts, but I love her and I like her in this role too. She's warm. Again, should work on paper, but for some reason it just doesn't translate right. Um, but yeah, these startles, it also makes it very clear that <laughs> that Donna has a really horrifying relationship with her vanity mirror. Like <laughs> this vanity mirror comes back to get her like three times with startle scares over the course of this movie. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's kind of implausible. It happens too much. Well, the aunt is, you know, all happy that her young niece is going to prom finally. And there's a solemn moment where she gives her, her mother, she gives Donna, her mother's shawl to wear as a, you know, nice little, token to have her mother there in spirit with her i'm not a fan of her dress either the dress the color of this dress washes this poor girl out i'm sorry a a blonde should not be wearing a champagne colored dress ever we want some color yeah it's the most lackluster prom ensemble i've seen on a leading lady it just it just drowns her out like literally like we needed we needed a a red 
or a yes. yellow or a orange or something, but she's just dry. Sorry, I'm being crit critical, but yeah, they could have put her in something better, but she, she goes downstairs. Her date, Bobby looks, shows up. He looks 40. I, oh my God. Oh my God. I'm looking at my notes right now and has in my parentheses. I have looks 40. Swear to God. I could take a picture of it and show it. Yeah. He looks 40. I mean, he's not a bad looking guy. He looks like he's trying to start a small business though. And like, and this is yeah. supposed to be a high school prom, but like, I mean, same like Lisa, I, I mean, come on, you know, her knockers are out the whole movie. She looks like she's a, a 24 year old stripper in that dress. Um, there's no way that that girl is what I'm assuming to be, what, 17 years old. We're stretching the imagination with this film across the board. So age is not age is relative in this movie. <laughs> yeah, well, I think only one of the kids, you know, in only one of them looks age appropriate and it's uh, Michael. Yeah. Is yeah. his name Michael? Well, he's a little cutie, but he looks like he'd be about 18. So Bobby shows up and he, uh, I just love, like, I'm like, come on. She does not look that good. Oh, everyone. Like, she, come, <laughs> she comes, yeah, she comes to the top of the stairway and he's like, has his breath taken away. Like, <gasps> All of them do. I'm like, she, she looks like a fucking grandma. She's wearing an old lady shawl. That her hair is stringy. Listen, two, a few things. That shawl, I'm sorry. I get it. It's her mother's. I get it. I get it. I went, I but the night my mom passed away was one of my uh, my senior year dances. I went to it. I fucking went to it. I get the importance of that idea, but it's an ugly shawl, <laughs> and I wouldn't have taken my mother's shawl the night of the dance. I wouldn't have taken it. I would have left it home to keep it safe. Doesn't mean mean I need to be wearing her clothes. Um, <laughs> and then she's coming down the steps, looking kind of tacky, and you know, and champagne. Uh, and her aunt, who just saw her a moment ago, like gave her the shawl, is like looking over. She's like in awe. She's like, oh, my God. She's like, her breath is <laughs> taken away by the vision that is Brittany Stowe on this goddamn staircase. I mean, they are blown away. And she looks OK. I mean, I've seen her look way better in X. <laughs> and she's wearing Daisy Dukes or nothing in that movie. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, everyone's acting like she's the, you know, like fucking miss america coming down the runway bless your heart yeah they're and none of these girls are wearing makeup either oh it's all like very like neutral yeah and it, it really feels so like blase give me more glitter yeah i want where's some where's the glitter where's the glitter where's the at least at least jamie lee curtis had the common decency to curl her hair during the, for yeah. the prom at the end of prom yeah. night yeah. Well, this, let's be clear. This ain't no Jamie Lee Curtis. No, yeah. no. This is not your Jamie Lee Curtis prom night. Uh, and then, of course, they all get in the limo and we get this stupid ass montage of them acting silly as they're driving through town in the limo, hanging out of the sunroof, <laughs> hanging out of the fucking window. There's like people. I don't know how small town this is supposed to be, but that hotel sure ain't small town. But there's people like on the street corners like, go get them, seniors. They have like banners. I'm like, no one fucking gave. <laughs> When I went to proms, all kinds of proms, there were never people standing on the sides of street corners waving them to their, I don't know, their big night. Like, I, I don't know. I guess this is something people do in small towns. I don't know. Not that I'm aware of. I could see it maybe for like homecoming, like a homecoming parade, but not just not just going to prom. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a big to do in the city. Sure seems like it because it's all that happens the whole fucking movie. So it seems to be a really big deal. And I will say one thing about this movie that like does not <laughs> really quite live up to what it is 
preaching to be, is is trying to make it sound to be, is the prom itself. Because they keep talking at this big event, and you get there, and I'll say, like, the actual display, like, the dance floor looks nice, but, like, there's something about this prom that even though they're trying to make it look as grand and big money, they even talk about how the character Chrissy put a bunch of uh, her daddy's money into it. What a cunt. But, like, the prom always feels like, it feels like a cheap music video. It feels like really flat. Like whenever you see them dancing together, it's like you can tell that they said to the cast, okay, now act like you're dancing at a prom and have a good time. We're going to film it. And they like maybe did one take and that's all you got. Because it really like, it just feels very wooden, strangely wooden for being a prom. The problem I find with the this portrayal of a prom is that a prom is supposed to be elegant, right? Um, you know, we had our, my senior prom was at a hotel ballroom, but it was decorated very elegantly. You know, there's this, just a sense of like, it's, it's supposed to be like your, it's your pinnacle moment of your, of your school career is prom. It's like the last big gathering with your friends before y'all graduate. Right. So it's supposed to be elegant. This you're right. It looks like it's, the floor of a dance club. And I've just never, I'm a teacher. I've been to many proms. I've worked in high schools. I've, I've been to proms with my, st- I, mean, I know pr- the, the whole idea of a promise is elegance. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's why you get, that's why you get dressed up in these 500, $600, $700, $1,200 prom dresses. And you get these tuxedos and the, it's supposed to be a very formal event. This prom looks like a, dance floor of a club in downtown Orlando. There's nothing elegant about it. The girls, you're way overdressed for this problem. They should be in, they should be in fucking bikinis the way this is decorated. There's no decoration. It's just a lighted dance. Well, floor. yeah. And that's, I think one of the big issues with this movie is it, it already feels dated and it's, it's this, what was what? 2008. So this is, I mean, like it's closing down 15 years, but still it feels so, fucking dated and not in a good way no but even like okay think of the remake of carrie okay that came out in what 2012 i think you remember the prom in that film was even a lot more uh i hate to keep using the word it was a lot more elegant the 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 way that prom was portrayed it was it was how you would expect a prom to look um the other problem i have with this and we'll get to it now the other problem i have is when you when you put this film location, the prom inside of this grand hotel, right away you have an issue because yeah. there is nothing creepy, isolated, atmospheric about this location at, at all, at all. Um, you know, at least like the original prom night, you know, it was in the hotel. It was in, I'm sorry, it was in the high school gymnasium and you did have the, you know, the dark uh, school corridors that were all dark because, you know, it, you know it, there's nobody there. It's at night. The only thing that's being used is the gymnasium. So when you have, um, what's her name? Wendy's chase scene, the iconic chase scene in the original prom night, it's through these dark, moody school hallways. So it gives it some atmosphere. This just it loses all of that because this is like the least creepy or scary location you could ever think of for the film. They they cut to as the as the girl as, as the group is you know doing their limousine shenanigans. We do cut to the police station and we get introduced to Detective Wynn, played by I forgot he was even in this. Idris Idris I'll Elba. Take him any day of the week, I don't care what movie. 
I totally he, he forgot always he was in elevates this. the material whenever he's in it. I'll say this: like this movie, still bad, but at least he's a fucking competent detective. Like I like him in the role. I just don't like the movie he's in. So apparently, this fax comes through that is telling it him that. Fenton, Richard Fenton, who is the teacher who brutally murdered Donna's family at the beginning of the film, had escaped his mental institution that he's been housed in for the past, what, three years. There is a newbie uh, detective, uh, Nash, played by James Ransone, who I believe was also in Sinister. He played a cop in Sinister as well, if I'm right about that. And he basically gives Detective Nash the whole rundown of what happened. And we find out that, yes, Fenton was Donna's science teacher and he became completely obsessed with her to the point where her family had to get a restraining order against him. He got fired leading to him basically going to her house one night and and murdering her whole family. And when they went to, you know, search his house, they find binders, just binders full of pictures of this girl that he, he was keeping. She had to go uh, identify him give a, a actual physical ID and there's this flashback of her going to the police station and he's behind the glass and just very ominously talking about how Donna is going to have to be with him now because her family's dead and she has no one except him trying to be creepy. But again, it doesn't come off as creepy at all. Uh, it really doesn't. And what we find out just, we find out that the jury actually did not convict him of murder. They actually found him insane and sent him to an institution instead of being, which I find probably, I don't, come on, I don't buy that. I mean, this this guy cold-blooded stalked this girl, murdered her family. I don't think there's a jury that's going to be like, oh yeah, let's find him insane. It was just a way to get him out of, to be able to break yeah, out. Yeah, no, for sure. But when, when we had Angel a few weeks ago, that was an example of a film that had an attractive killer that that it still managed to play um, part in the creep factor. The fact that he was attractive kind of elevated the character. It didn't hurt him. This movie, I would say it's an example of a film where the killer being as attractive as he is does greatly do the film a disservice because this is a character that, like, as they talk about just how dark and maniacal and twisted he is, he killed the family and stalked her and still thinks that they're going to be in love to this day. Like, I want to see that in this character. Like, I want to see them break. I want to see them get gross and messy with it and really, like, fucking just intense with this role and this guy is restricted to just having sexy glares and pouting lips and occasionally looking really angry but the intimidation factor never feels like mentally all that off or unstable he always seems very calculated and just very fixated on her but that's about all um and i think that it makes for a very i don't know not intimidating villain which if you're going to do a quote-unquote slasher movie, which this movie rarely actually, I think, treads in that territory, but it still proclaims itself to be one. If you're going to do that, you have to have a killer that is intimidating. You have to have a killer that is threatening. And you have to have a killer that, I don't know, strikes fear in people. This guy does not do that. I just want to check him out. Well, and, and if you're going to have a killer that you're not going to put in any sort of mask or costume, 
he also needs to be intimidating. Like you need to look at this guy if he's not wearing a if he's not wearing a costume or a typical slasher, you know, ensemble that you would expect a killer to wear. Then you need to at least be able to look at him and be like, yeah, that that dude is fucking creepy. No, there's nothing about that. His 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 disguise is a fucking baseball cap, and he looks damn oh, good he's in great. it. Great, he cuts his hair. Yeah, they they arrive at the prom. And I love the fact that you, this, you mentioned this, you know, with people standing on the corner of the street with, with as the as the limo is going down the road. But did you notice when they arrive at prom, there's like this whole like spectator section. Did you see that where people oh, yeah. are like rooting them on and taking pictures of them like they're arriving at the this Oscars? must be all, all this town has. Are you that bored on a Saturday night that you're going to let's go down to the prom and, you know, fawn over the kids going into the <laughs> there's sad. a whole spectator it's section. Sad. It's a sad it's a sad reality. Wherever these people live that this is all they have. But apparently it's a big to do. But it's a beautiful it's a beautiful. Well, and that's another thing you I want to bring up about not to go back to this, but I have to say this, that the whole venue for which that they are dancing is inside this gorgeous, stunning hotel. That I'm sure had a beautiful dance hall to begin with. Why do they put that monstrosity in there? Like, this place is beautiful. It really, the standout aspect is like the grand staircase. Like, it is It is so much nicer than it needs to be. Why would they fucking, like, go in there and, and throw this, like, very, like, mid-2000s, like... It looks like something from like an MTV spring break <laughs> like stage setup and it just seems so forced. It, it you're absolutely right. It removes, it strips all of the elegance away and makes for this just very tacky experience. And this whole movie is a tacky experience. So I mean, I guess that works. I don't know. Yeah, and he as as the group enters in, he he happens to be at the um front desk checking in. And he turns around and he sees that Donna has just come in with all of her friends. She's kissing on Bobby. And this is the moment, I think, right here when he turns around, we get a close up of him. When we as the audience see how just gorgeous of a guy. Oh, beautiful. This is. And it's just really like it's, I hate to keep harping on, but it's just really hard to find him. Well, scary. And you said something, Troy, a moment ago that really needs to be focused on because it was, I think, one of the prime aspects of why the original film worked. The fact that they stripped this from the film, I think, is one of the big Achilles heels of the movie. The original film was a masked killer and they opt to go full on, just show you who the killer is right off the bat. And yes, he's gorgeous at all times, no matter how crazy he looks. Um, So they really just like remove this huge element of suspense or like mystery that really like added and enhanced the original prom. It added to it so much. It did so much favor to it. Why would you remove that? I don't know. One of the most engaging things about the original prom night is that it was a whodunit at, at heart. It's a whodunit. You know, the uh, characters are getting phone calls from the killer. Uh, we get shots of the killer Xing out the the characters pictures in the yearbook after he kills them. We don't know who it is. That's the whole fun of the original prom night is, is actually trying to figure out who the killer is. Right. And even when we do see the killer in the original prom night, he has that black ski mask on. So he's covered. We don't know who it is. Yeah, this one, they just, I, I don't know why you would write a slasher film and then just think that it was a grand idea to just not disguise the killer, not make it a whodunit, just have him be this 
random guy who shows up. How did he know? I mean, I, I guess he's obsessed. So he was, I guess, probably just went to the school's website. I don't know to find out where this prom was. How did he know she was even going to go? There's so many questions, but like, you know, he's taken a huge risk being there without a disguise because these were his students, right? Like if she saw him, she's going to recognize him. And in fact, there's that moment later on in the film when Dana does see him and she does recognize him. And in fact, several of the characters right before they get killed, when he pops out, what do they say? They're like, oh, Mr. Fenton. So everyone knows who he is. Like this dude is a fucking idiot. He is blindly in love with Donna. And I will say like, there are a few little moments where I do find the whole storyline um, intriguing. The idea of like, of, a, of an obsessed teacher being so madly obsessed that he'll put them himself and others in risk is, is, is an interesting story maybe for another film. You know, it, it could be done right if it was handled, you know, within the context of a film where it was allowed to, I think, develop more time to, focus on that story because in this film we simply don't get enough of it we don't see enough of him being truly crazy or intimidating to find him intimidating because he's just pretty and one thing that does piss me off is like you just said like we're at the prom and boom we're in it he's there we get so little build up other than like a brief flashback of him climbing out of his cell like we see some like footage of him like climbing through the ceiling we get so little story about this guy and what he's capable of and exactly what he's doing to get there so when he shows up it's just very much like oh oh he's already there so like there's no real scare factor and wasn't it mentioned please correct me if i'm wrong but wasn't it mentioned that the um the asylum that he was sent to was like two thousand miles away yeah yeah so how did he get how how did he get here so quickly because he literally just broke out two days before. So he's already there. He's made it 2000 miles somehow. There's no suspense. There's no, like, we don't see his journey and how he got to this location because I, I guarantee I, I'm, I 100% um, am, am sure that the doctor said it and the Idris Elba's character said it, that he was put away and it was like 2000 miles away. So she was safe. Yeah. They give you these Idris Elba sequences that are just spewing like facts and information at you, the listener, the viewer that you kind of like literally have to like kind of follow along what he's saying to really get an idea. Cause it's, it's just backstory. It's there simply for the sole purpose of catching you, the viewer up and nothing more. Um, it is extensive. There's a lot. He spews a lot of dialogue about it. But I do agree with you. It's, it's very ineffective that he is just there. He just shows up. He's there the exact same time that Donna and her friends show up. Yeah. He's at the front desk. I mean, come on. I How know. lazy is that? It's just fucking yeah. lazy. I do like now we get introduced to, as the group goes into this big ballroom, that again, there is literally no decorations at all. Um, you know, I think of like, and I, I think about like Carrie, you know, the gymnasium with all of the glittery stars hanging up, hanging from the ceiling and it was love among the stars. And there was a theme. This prom doesn't even have a theme. It's just like this lighted tic-tac-toe looking dance uh, floor, the most fucking annoying DJ in the world. Um, and the, uh, and the lesbian gym. <sighs> She's teacher. the same. That's it. But no, honestly, I think my biggest issue above all else, I can use, I can complain about this all day about everything about this movie, but about the prom specifically, my biggest issue is how cold it is. It feels very mechanical. It feels very much like the kids were told what to do, how to enjoy it, when to enjoy it. 
Um, it doesn't feel like, you know, we talk about movies where it feels like people are having fun on set making a movie. I feel like people here are like could give two shits about being on this set. There's no fun to be felt. There's no warmth. It just feels so like robotic. And that's where it really starts to lose me, to be honest, because up to this point, I've been interested, but I haven't necessarily been bored once you get to the prom and have that be the like the bulk of what's going on, I start to doze off a little bit. Well, and this is when the movie just becomes it's it's it it falls into a very specific pattern from this point forward. We do get introduced to Chrissy, who is her and her little entourage, because it's it's a it's a it's a mid two thousands teen film. You have to have like the bitchy girls right and chrissy chrissy is like the the queen bitch of the the school she's like rich and apparently there is a comment about how she yeah she got her father to put what do they say a hundred thousand dollars towards this prom can you imagine if you were like somebody who couldn't even afford to have like i don't know like going to school with this girl and can't even afford to have like basic like lunch meal programs or anything. And this girl is fucking having a hundred thousand dollars put into a prom. What did they spend the hundred thousand dollars on? Because there's no decorations. There's no food. It's such a fucking like obnoxious blase lighting setup. It's just, it's so 2008 and it has, it's so dated. It does not work. Well, Chrissy is nominated for prom queen. And she has a disliking to Lisa, and we, it's never elaborated on why, but she's like, you're a good luck with the prom queen election tonight. You're going to need it. She's just an unnecessarily rude bitch who, even the secondary character who has the potential to be a little bit interesting, is just kind of wasted. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, like, she's a good actress. She's not... She's not great. At least she has some personality. But God, I got to say that the dialogue that these kids are given is so like just paper thin. Like it's I've heard this dialogue in a million movies before. It's just better. Everything they talk about, you can predict every conversation they have. Of course, two of them are fighting because one of them is going away for school. And of course, the, the vocal couple are talking about the importance of her being bold enough to go away for school. And he's going to support her no matter what. And the other couple, one of them is going to propose at the end of the night. Because that's a good good idea to make on your prom night when you're a senior in high school. That's a yeah. great call. So, like, I mean, yeah. it just all feels so, like, honed in. I mean, I don't know. The character development is not this movie's strong point. But what is? <laughs> well, Ronnie, Ronnie, who is Dana's boyfriend, he's also nominated for Prom King, we find out. He runs up to the um to the front desk to get some keys, the three keys for the room. Uh and while he's up at the front desk, Fenton is there at the same time. Here's the room number that this group is staying in, which is 312. And as Ronnie runs back, once he gets the keys and runs back, the um, the clerks asks Fenton, so do you have a room or do you have a floor preference? He's like, yeah, third. I'm like, come on. If I was the guy that was working the counter, I, that at that point, I would definitely be like, can't trust that. Like, we have 12 floors in this hotel, and this guy wants to go to the same floor that that strapping young man just ran up to. 
Ooh, I'm going to say no. I have a bad feeling about that. But I mean, he accommodates like he gets his way. It's so easy for him just to slip right in. So he goes back he gives the group their keys. And right away, the girls want to go up to their room and have you ever heard of this, Troy, about high school students being allowed to go into like have hotel rooms? No. Get pregnant. Like, I'm sorry. Is this not a gateway to sex? Hotel rooms being available for overnight stays, I'm assuming? Yeah, during the prom. This is basically just telling them, go, fuck like bunnies, get pregnant. Yeah, and I I don't know, I I guess if you're pitching in, if you're six people staying in one of these beautiful suites, you could probably afford it as as a high school senior, but I would imagine that the suite was not cheap. This room that they get, that they go up to the elevator and get and get into, this is like a three-bedroom suite. I do like, though, that there is a moment when the three girls are on the elevator and there are like these older men that are like sexually harassing them. I mean, them. also that this would also be, though, absolutely like they're going after minors. Like they could go to jail. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, like I'm like, they, they, they're just blatantly like they know – they have to know that these girls are high school students, right? They, I mean, you just go, you go into this hotel room or this hotel in the lobby. There's a big old sign that says whatever the school's name is, prom. You know, these girls are like high schools. They're like, come to my room, sweetie. Ooh, you're looking good. We're in room 615. I'm like, oh. My how things have changed <laughs> since 2008. You know, my how things have changed. Yeah, well, Mr. Fenton is in the elevator as well, but he's concealed in the corner so they don't see him. When they get off the elevator, he watches them go to their room and he sees that they're going into the room that's like conveniently right next door to his. It's like literally right down the hall. And he lures this poor hotel maid that is just trying to make a living. (laughs) This poor woman. All she's trying to do is make a living. Come on. Be helpful. She's trying to be helpful. (laughs) Well, he scratches his key card. So he calls her over. And he's like, oh, my card won't work. So she gets the master key and opens his door. And she's like, hey, your card scratch. You're going to have to go back down to the front desk and get a new card. They'll take care of it. She starts walking away. And this is when he's like, oh, excuse me. Can I get some extra towels? And she's like, yeah, certainly. I'm sorry, lady. I, I like you a lot, but this is like, you're a dumb bitch. All you had to do, uh, if it was me. I'm not going to go into some stranger's room. I would have walked the hotel, the tiles right to the door, set them in the doorway and be like, there you go. Uh, First of all, I mean, you know what I would have done is I would have seen that face. I'd been like, I'll give you whatever the fuck you need. Like, so she was obviously smitten. This is where his good looks get him what he wants because he asks favors of a lot of people and then he kills those people. (laughs) It's a, it becomes a trend. He just keeps killing the people that help him. Um, And so, his his beauty, I think, plays factor in why she's so responsive. But I will say, this is a sequence that, honestly, should work pretty well. I mean, like, the blueprint's set up. You know exactly what the scene needs to do. If you're going to kill her, kill her. The fact that the scene fails is shocking and kind of appalling and a sign of things to come from the rest of the movie. Because this broad does get killed. And by setup, you're really expecting for it to go okay. Um, and then, like, it, it falls into a trend of what keeps happening over and over and over and over throughout the course of the movie. When It, it lets the moment kind of build up a little bit. And then when it gets to the kill, it rushes through it. 
at such a rapid pace that they tried to make it feel stylistic, like a really fast cut. And it just honestly leaves it void of any form of violence or blood whatsoever. And this is literally how the whole movie goes. And it is the biggest issue I think everybody has. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, it's the elephant in the room. We have to put it out there. We're almost an hour into the podcast and we haven't mentioned this until now. But this film is PG-13. Um, and it really did. I, I'm trying to remember, Roger, but I think this was the film that kind of set into motion a lot of these PG-13 slasher films. What they were doing, I think, and they made a grave, grave mistake. But what they were doing, I think they were really trying to appeal to a young teenage female audience. So they did not want to show the gore. They did, they did not want the R rating because they want. They thought that oh, this movie about prom and putting these and showing you know having the uh, the trailer show all these teenage girls in these pretty dresses. We're going to attract a new a new breed of slasher fans. And that is the teenage girls because, Oh, so far in slasher film history, the teenage girl have been ignored. So we're going to make a slasher film for them. I really feel like that was the intent here. Uh, They did not. I mean, and that just shows the ignorance that these filmmakers have of the horror genre and the horror community. You know, you're going to take a, a classic title. And yeah, we've uh, prom night is not the original prom night. Come on. Let's be honest. It's, a, it's not the strongest slasher film that come out of, to come out of the eighties. I, I actually prefer terror train over prom night any day, but it it's classic in a sense. It's Jamie Lee Curtis. You get the, you get that very well done, uh, climactic prom sequence. There's a lot to like in the original prom night. If you're going to use the prom night name, you are already like setting up a expectation for for fans that have seen that film, the '80s horror slasher fans. You, you're setting up an expectation, but they they basically said, "Fuck you." We're using the name, but we're making a b- virtually bloodless, violentless film. We don't care because you're not our audience. Our audience is little fourteen year old. Kaylee and Madison, we're trying to get them into the seats now because we need a slasher movie for them. But guess what? Kaylee, Madison, Bailey, Tiffany, they didn't come and see this movie. What you ended up doing was pissing off a whole slew of of horror fans with this film. Oh, Troy, that's such a good point. And when you look at the way they structured the story, it's definitely for more of a female perspective. If you look at the whole, like the switch to like the, the sexy teacher who went mad because he was so madly in love with his student. Like it feels very lifetime to me, you know, it feels very much like a story for women, Um, (laughs) but, and, and you're right. You know, it, it doesn't do the movie justice overall because the original prom night, if a chick likes horror, She's going to like the original prom night because you know what? At the end of it, it's just J.B. Lee Curtis with like a fucking axe, chopping limbs off, like just going to town, killing, killing people. You know, Jamie Lee Curtis is always a badass and she's a badass in prom night, too, for the little bit of time that she actually gets to do anything. You know, um, this movie, I don't care if you're trying to make it a movie for women or not. These girls fall into all of the typical cliche tropes 
that you try to avoid from movies that ra uh, raise up women and make them into strong, formidable opponents to whomever may come after them. This movie literally just makes these girls into like kind of helpless cookie cutter cliches. Well, and like I said, the filmmakers were ignorant of of what a horror fan is and what a horror fan wants. Because some of my, I mean, look at we, me and you, we have a we're pretty well versed in the horror community, and we we follow a lot of you know horror groups and horror blogs and horror this and horror that. We've made both of us have made horror films. We work with you know pretty well known people in the horror indie horror scene. Some of the most diehard horror fans out there are female and guess what they love the gore you know they they loved all the you know the 80s slasher films so you didn't have to like water this down so much to try to attract you know an audience that wasn't going to come and see the film in the first place i mean that's all i'll say i mean I, that's the that's the huge issue with the film the a huge issue with the film and i, I think it just it tanks the film so badly and it, it just never ever recovers okay so where are we oh so so he stabs this poor maid to death in the bathroom very underwhelming she takes the towels into the bathroom and all of a sudden he appears behind her and just goes up and stabs her in the stomach that's the end of it well and you know what sucks about that troy i will say is if they only if they would have let it go there and be more violent the overall like the mixing and the visuals of the kills it's not like they're doing a bad job in that department. Like the sound of the knife going into the skin and everything. They really try to exaggerate it a bit, I think, to make up for the lack of visual violence. And if only they would have paired it with violent imagery, I think they would have had the making for what would probably be some pretty cool kill sequences. They just never, ever, 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 ever let it go remotely near where it needs to be. Yeah. yeah. So this is the first of many death scenes that are ju that just flop detective win shows up to donna's house to tell her aunt and uncle that fenton has escaped and so they tell him that she's at her prom so he immediately goes into action he he calls nash and it's like hey you need to get over to this hotel and, and watch donna you could be headed there we don't know i mean yeah you're right this detective is very on the ball you know we're used to seeing horror films slasher films where the the, the police department is portrayed as being like inept um, or not taking anything seriously. This detective, when he is from the, the second he's on screen, he is uh, he's doing what he needs to do to protect this poor girl. How, the, the issue is he's always, you know, a few minutes too late. Yeah. I mean, he looks good doing it. Yeah. He looks good doing yeah. it. I like that we get a, a very unexpected slow motion bowl dropping here in this moment as the aunt, Aunt Karen overhears the conversation that Wynn is having with the uncle about the fact that, you know, Fenton has gotten out, is on the loose and so forth. We get this very over-the-top dramatic bull drop that's so, like, out of place and unexpected. And I haven't seen one of those since, I don't know, 1984. <laughs> this movie is nothing but a mishmash of things that have happened in other films. It just, it just like over and over. Oh, it really is. This film has no identity of its own. Not it, at it, all. It basically stole ideas from pretty much every film. Like I said, I really think that the screenwriter sat around and was like, okay, I need to think of movies that have prom and just watched a bunch of movies that had a prom and it just pasted everything together into this script. And it's just like, you're like, you're right. The dialogue is cliche. The, the scares are cliche. Everything is just, ugh. 
And the music, I haven't liked a single fucking song they played at this fucking prom. Oh my god, it makes me hate the era I grew up in so much. Just the people are so shitty to each other. The music is so awful. It's so awful, the soundtrack. Well, and then the soundtrack is shitty. The Yeah, people are shitty, including Michael, who is being very verbally aggressive towards Claire. He's like screaming at her in the middle of the prom. Because she tells him she's going away to school and he's all huffy puffy about it. He's like, God damn you. How can you be leaving me? Um, She goes over and tells Donna that, you know, her and Michael are having this argument and it's being exasperated by the fact that she has cramps. Uh, So Donna offers to go up to the suite to get her some Midol. And as Donna gets on the elevator to head up to the room, guess who's watching her? Mr. Fenton. And he follows her up to the room. Mr. Fenton is always there every single time that Donna and Bobby show any form of physical affection towards one another, which really isn't that often because they are not a couple that seem to be oozing with chemistry. <laughs> um, but, you know, they, they seem to like none each other. None of them are. None I don't believe a single person in this movie. But, like, I mean, they seem to get along. Like, they like each other, but it doesn't seem really like a high stakes relationship. This thing's going to fall It seems apart. like more like it's a brother and sister type. It is a yeah. It's a good platonic. It's a healthy platonic relationship between a man and a woman. Um, <laughs> but it's being called a relationship. And so, he every time Fenton looks over, happens to be looking through a nook or a crack or a hole in the wall. It's always one of the few moments where these two are kissing, and he gets so pissy about these two kissing he gets so mad and that's like really like the driving force for him throughout the course of the film everything he does is because he's so livid that somebody else would be kissing on the woman who's supposed to be his what does he expect she's 17 and he's 45 oh my god he's so he's so pissed about these kisses and he holds that resentment through the whole movie up until the the very end considering what happens clearly um but yeah it's really like it's so low stakes it should feel like a higher stakes to me you know this guy who's stalking and killing people but it really like his motivations are always so just like lackluster well there is a scene back at donna's aunt's house where the aunt linda or what's her name karen linda i don't know aunt We'll just call her aunt. I don't know. She's upset because she's upset because she's like, why aren't you guys going and getting Donna? Like go. She's telling her husband, go get Donna. He's like, no, we don't want to embarrass her. God forbid we embarrass her in front of her friends. I guess it's better that she gets slaughtered by this knife wielding maniac. than she gets embarrassed by her aunt and uncle because guess what, Roger, if they would have left the house that very second and went and got Don and her friends, guess what? Everyone would still be fucking alive. So I blame well, the I, fucking uncle. Oh, uh, I blame the uncle so much. And I'm sorry. Like I get it. Cause he's, he's like, Oh, she's made so much progress. Do we really want to undo that? Listen, I mean, the worst possible outcome is exactly what happens. So uh, clearly this fucker was going after her. Well, I do. I love the fact that he's like, there's no proof that he's going to come after her bitch. He, you just, he, she, he killed her whole fucking family. What are you talking about? This man has been saying from day one that they're going to be together. And now he's out. And not only that, he got out because he physically he escaped. He escaped. Like, he's been plotting this. So don't tell me he ain't getting out without motivation. 
there is a motive, and it's this underage girl. <laughs> so, and again, it, in concept, this should be made to work better. It just is never scary. The hotel, this hotel room that we're going into, gets more screen time than any of the actors in this film. <laughs> like this, probably a good. It thing. is a probably beautiful a hotel room. Thing. It makes me think of Vegas, Troy. I mean, tell me, this doesn't make you think of a Vegas hotel oh, room? It's it's a it's a total uh, Vegas. Suite we're getting sure. it next time, you and me. Oh yeah. We're getting at the Houston Horror Film yep. Festival. We'll have a suite at this the July. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Donna goes into the suite and it's absolutely beautiful. Like I, I just have a really, really hard time buying the fact that teenagers were able to afford and to rent this room. I, 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 sus- I suspend, <laughs> I will suspend belief on a lot of things, Roger. I, I, I you know that. But this just irked the fuck out of me. Every time I watch this movie, I'm like, there is no way these seniors in high school who have no jobs rented this room. Well, beyond that, there's <laughs> no way. There's no way you're going to tell me that the the parents in this relatively small town are going to let three couples room together in a hotel overnight after a night of dancing and partying and sexual innuendos. You really going to tell me that these parents are going to think this is a good idea? I don't know. I've never heard of this kind of nonsense. They deserve to get pregnant or STDs. I don't think this is a good call. This is bad parenting, in my opinion. But of course, I never want children for a reason. So I'm just, I'm just sensible about these things. Don't put a bunch of kids in a hotel. Give them a bunch of freaking. Uh, I don't know, access to alcohol. They're, they're fucking gurneying uh, kettles of <laughs> like giant beer. Like, you know, earlier in, they're like, they're like lifting uh, giant tanks of beer in through the window. How, how does nobody see this from this hotel? Because you have, Roger, <laughs> you have one chaperone at this entire prom and it's the lesbian gym that teacher. Les- she's the lesbian. only teacher at the fucking prom. And she's I, spending too many plates, Troy. She's spending too many plates. I hope she got some extra pay for this because she is literally only, the only adult we see at this oh entire prom is this God. lesbian gym teacher. That poor woman, she is she is working overtime, this <laughs> poor gal. This woman, she's probably the only person who's been see, overseeing this goddamn prom committee. Then that rich little cunt comes in with daddy's paycheck, buys the fucking uh, big uh, electric zoo setup that's now in the middle of the beautiful ballroom that the lesbian had procured. I mean, I'm, it's she, it's not going her way tonight, and it only gets worse for that lesbian gym teacher. Um, <laughs> but we're back in the room. We're back in the room, and this does build up into what is an ongoing trend of events in which somebody is watched from the room, and then inevitably, for the most part, most of them are killed in the room. But the first time we do have, like, you know, Donna comes in the room and she's looking around and like it's kind of effective you hear like the sound of the metal uh hangers clinking all the time she's bumping into uh lamps you know <laughs> and getting startled by claire she bumps into claire of course claire manages to sneak up and startle her 
There is this a moment though when she's looking in the closet for her mydol, and in the mirror reflection behind her, we do see Mr. Fenton standing there. Uh, it's very quick, but it actually is pretty. I mean, I'm, get, I'm trying to give the film some credit. It's pretty effective, I guess, because it lets us know he's in the room and that she could be in danger. But she, yeah, she immediately finds the pill. She opens the door to the suite, and yeah, it's another jump scare. So in this particular span of 30 seconds of her in this room, we get a jump scare with her bumping into a lamp. A jump scare of her opening the closet door and the closet door bumping on something and a jump scare of her opening the door to the suite to go back out in the hallway and Claire standing right there. D- does she have the lamp at this specific point? I mean, she does bump into a lamp. The, the, she's bumps into the lamp every fucking frame <laughs> of this does, film. This right? girl, this girl's so clumsy. She's like Fergie. That song, uh, tripping, oh, clumsy. stumbling. She's bumping flipping. into. Yeah, she's bumping into everything. Um, <laughs> but you know, I will say this: if we're going to try, if I'm going to try to find a moment to stop and like just stop the berating this movie with a barrage of insults i find that my favorite moments in the movie and they're never perfect and they're never long enough but the the few times where they you do get a character in alone in an environment and they give it like a they give it some time to kind of build up before it leads to what is ultimately a very unsatisfying kill the i do think that the build ups to the kills at times do manage to be off-putting you as the viewer do know that he is in the room these kids have no fucking idea they're so caught up in their own like you know relationship issues or you know looking for i don't know my doll like you know they're so caught up in like the hubbub of prom that oftentimes they just completely don't even acknowledge the fact this guy is in the room and he's done this before he obviously stalked donna years ago so this is i guess just one of his specialties is being stealthy and hiding in the darkness but it does make for a series of somewhat effective moments i do feel my question is is there not were there not restrooms in this ballroom where the prom is taking place are there not restrooms in the hotel lobby why are these poor students having to track three floors up to the hotel room to go use the bathroom or to go look at their face in the mirror bitch hey, listen don't you tell me that if you were a senior in high school and you had access to that room i don't give a fuck how fancy that prom is i'm spending all my time in that goddamn room that i'm living fat like a king up in that room on the eighth, on the eighth floor of this luxurious hotel you know well <laughs> because what claire does is she goes up to the room so she can fix her face she says i'm like there is a fucking perfectly good mirror in the bathroom of the lobby why are you tracking up the elevator they, they sir well you know why because this prom is fucking lame as hell and nobody wants to be in there they they hate the music they hate the decorations they hate the dj they hate the lesbian gym teacher they're like we are uh, oh we're gonna get God. out of there as many times but claire is in this room by herself yeah well, and, and it find, doesn't end well they find every excuse to get people up to this room too i'm gonna say like it is they're by the end of it they're stretching it the last reason that they give donna to go back up to that room involving oh her mother's shawl i'm like go f- that shawl can go fuck itself let it burn whatever's happening in the hotel but i'm getting ahead of myself they do keep providing reason after reason after reason for people to want to go up to this hotel room it does get kind of exhausting and I would say, yeah, while some of the death scenes, the build up to the death scenes are pretty okay, this one is not. Um, and it, it's too bad because it is the first of the, you know, six, it's the first of the six main characters to be killed. And it's poor Claire, Jessica Stroop, who is fixing her face in the mirror. 
And all of a sudden she hears something behind her and she goes out in the hallway and there is literally zero suspense because Mr. Fenton immediately walks out of the doorway and goes up to her and she's like, Mr. Fenton, and he grabs her by the neck and takes her into the bedroom, throws her on the floor and stabs her to death. Oh, and you know what sucks for me so much, Troy? And the reason I get so angry watching this film is just because if they just would have allowed some of these moments to be what they're supposed to be, I actually find the setup and the idea of this rather terrifying. This girl having the realization that her former teacher is in the closet of her or in the bathroom of her hotel room and putting the pieces together that this is the same guy that stalked her friend. I mean, like that's, that's something worth elaborating on that fear, that palpable fear that should come from this situation. The fact that they rob us of that as the viewer is, it feels so offensive because it should, it should work. It really should. And it just does it. And it's so upsetting. It does not. And they try to make it, a, they try to give it some sort of emotional impact because as she's getting stabbed, there's a wide shot and we see her digital camera is on the floor in front of her. And there's a picture of her and um, Donna hugging each other as she's being stabbed. But again, it just, there's no buildup. There's no struggle. There's no, and that's another thing is none of these characters put up any sort of a fight. Um, even Donna they all just get killed so easily. And this is like, this is, this is the first of this is how it goes from this point forward. All of the deaths are cookie cutter, get a kid up to the room, kill him off, get a kid up to the room, kill him off. That's, that's what this film becomes. And it also is very interesting as we get towards the end of the film is like who they let live. I'm puzzled by that completely. Oh yeah. Well, this movie, like surprisingly it has a high body count, even though none of the kills are memorable whatsoever, but there is so much room to kill off like other characters that really, I thought had it coming, um, or would have emotionally affected the audience either way. Um, it feels like a lot of wasted opportunities, a lot of wasted opportunities. Um, but so, uh, downstairs you've got the, the bellhop, I think his name's Sam. He's being interviewed by uh, Sexy Idris Elba, who is showing him an image of of Fenton, you know, who's on the run. And the image, it's very clearly him, only with like a, the shag, with that shag haircut. Yeah. And this bellhop is like, nope, don't recognize him. I'm like, listen, <laughs> I'm like, you must not be gay because I'm sorry, <laughs> but there is no way that you are not going to recognize those full luscious lips and that stare. I would have been looking into those eyes, just melting. So yeah, the fact that he can't recognize this guy is mind boggling to me because he's striking even in illustration. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's actually a, it's a picture of, of him. And the only thing that's different is the long hair, but it's the face is exactly the same. You're trying to tell me you can't recognize him. He was just in, in front of you five minutes ago, but yeah, he doesn't, he's never seen the guy before. Uh, it, back inside the prom, Lisa and Ronnie are slow dancing and we have this bland fucking conversation that I could give a fuck less about, uh, with between Donnie, Donnie, <laughs> Donna and Bobby. 
that's how that's how much I could care about this film, Roger. <laughs> they do honest. they do blend but, together and become Donnie and Donnie and Bon Donnie and Bonna. No, D- Donna <laughs> and Bobby. <laughs> so she's it's this cliche. It's just this fucking cliched conversation that you would you would hear and save by the bell, like literally. I'm thinking about going to state next year so I can be closer to you, Bobby. Oh, no, Donna. Don't do that. You got a full scholarship. You'd be stupid. I don't want to be the reason why you give that up. But, but Bobby, I want to be close to you. No, Donna. Don't do that. I can't ask you to do that. That's ex- Jesus fucking Christ. Shoot me. Oh, my God. And that's all that Bobby's given. So it's like... <sighs> It just becomes annoying. Like, it doesn't feel like there's any humanity behind any of the things these people are saying. So you automatically start disliking them for their likabilities. <laughs> like, like all Bobby is is charming and likable. He's not flawed at all. And it makes him annoying. I find him annoying. He's too nice. He needs a flaw. He needs... They all... Yeah. They're all just too fucking simple, these people. <laughs> well, and then the character that could have some sort of, I don't know, arc to him... Is Michael, because he is portrayed right away with this fight with Claire as being a little prick, and it even is it's even heightened here when he goes up to uh, Claire and asks her, or goes up to Do- uh, Donna and asks, hey, have you seen Claire? And Donna's like, yeah, she's upstairs crying her eyes out because you've treated her like shit all night. If you're not careful, you're going to lose her. And he looks at her smugly, and he's like, huh, I doubt that. So smug. Ugh. Oh my god. I want to smack well, the he's smugness a, off of he's his cute. cute little face. He's cute. He's a cutie. Um, but like he could have some he could he could have been given some sort of redemption arc, but he's not. He's just the fucking cute prick that gets drunk, apparently. So where there's a shot of uh up up in the suite, Mr. Fenton is on the bathroom floor looking through the digital camera that we saw when Claire was being stabbed and Claire's body is just laid on the bathroom floor dead next to him. I do love the fact that somehow he is able to make these kills very bloodless. Like he's dragging these bodies all over this a, a suite and not getting a drop of blood anywhere because this is a beautiful yeah. white, like tiled floor and there's not a drop of blood on it. And this poor girl was just stabbed 50 times in the stomach. There's no blood anywhere, ever. I mean, it's only barely around the wounds in which the knife is inserted. That's all you get with this movie. It's a shocking, shockingly uh, low volume of blood. I think they got through it with one, like, maybe a 12-ounce bottle of fake blood in this film. I don't know how. Um, But I will say this little moment with him in the bathroom where he's, like, deleting the photos of uh, Bobby and Donna together... Um, I could have used more moments like this. Like, I mean, it's just creepy. It's creepy. It's not really gory, but you do see her laying there with the blood on her stomach. Um, and she's definitely dead. And I found it unsettling. It's so brief. But, like, I wish they would have just given us a little more of that kind of uh, unsettling imagery. Because you don't get a lot of it in this. It gives him some. It gives him a, another layer um, of as a villain. Because he really doesn't have any purpose or any dimension beyond he's out to kill everybody to get the Donna. This does as creepy as it is. It does show kind of an ounce of, of humanity to him, even though it is inappropriate humanity, obviously, but we're not, I mean, it's like this film 
almost, there's so many moments in this film where it almost gets something right, or it almost gives us that extra little bit of character development or that extra little bit of suspense or that extra little, and then it just, nope, we're not going to do that. Cut to the next scene. And I don't know about you, Troy, but that makes me absolutely furious when I watch this film. It's not just that this movie's bad to me. This movie actually angers me because they chose to to make it so mild. And it and oftentimes that's really the one thing that's really holding it back in some of these moments. And it goes so poorly without it that you just end up angering the people that are coming out. Like you said earlier, the people that come out to see this movie, we want to see these moments as complete in our in our mind how we envision them and it feels so neutered so it's like what's the fucking point you know well i don't know you know i don't know if in the well i'm sure in the hands of a a a director that was maybe a a bigger fan of the genre maybe it would work or i don't even want to say that because this director nelson mccormick actually went on then to direct the um stepfather remake as well which is also pretty bland but not as bland as this I'm just wondering like how much of the studio pressure he had on him to, to neuter this film so badly, or if it was his decision, I, I don't know. But it, it, in the meantime, when Fit, Mr. Fenton is in the bathroom, Michael happens to go up to the suite to look for Claire. And he is, I'm a, he's supposed to be drunk, right? He's drinking alcohol. He's trying, bless this kid's heart. He's, he's adorable, but he is trying to act drunk. I, I, did you, I don't know. There's something weird about his performance here. And I'm thinking it's because he is trying to act drunk like he's, but it's not translating well. I honestly think, dude, it's, it's the fact that he literally, this is the only scene he has other than the moment earlier arguing. Like he never had an introduction moment. You got to think about it. Some of these characters that they're trying to throw at us. Like, they, they all just blur together. And it's not even like they look the same. It's just they're so thin. Names are getting confusing. Like, this guy, he's not bad. But, like, it just feels like I don't know anything about him. Why do I care? Why am I watching this guy get set up to get killed? Why is he be, being given enough time in this moment to develop this? You didn't give me any other information about him earlier. So why is he getting this moment now? It feels so just like forced. He is definitely the least uh, developed of the six characters. At least Clara was given a little bit something to do. But he is, this is it. He goes up to the room. He's looking for Claire. He does tell her he's sorry. He hears the bathroom door creak open. He goes and looks for her. All of a sudden, somehow Mr. Fenton got her and himself out of the bathroom again not there's no blood anywhere this bathroom looks pristinely clean and so michael is in this bathroom looking around he f- hears the shower curtain he hears something behind the shower curtain so he wh- whips that open and she's not there he's kind of wandering around the room he's like god damn it claire come on i told you i'm sorry this is just getting silly you know i i, I can wait here all night for you if i want but then he hears something in the closet And so he goes over, opens the closet door. And again, probably this is probably the most of one of the most effective scenes in the film. And that's not really saying much, but there's this moment where he's staring into this black closet and he's like, Claire, Claire. And all of a sudden, Mr. Fenton's face just slowly emerges out of the darkness. I do like this moment. Yeah. Yeah. But he, but then it, but then what happens? The same thing that happened before. 
he leaps on him and stabs the shit out of him very quickly, very quick cut, very quick jump at it. There's not a, there's not a moment for it to really sink in and, and to really linger on this. What is, could be a very effective moment of suspense. You see his face in the blackness come out. Uh, Michael's like, Mr. Fenton, all of a sudden, whoosh, he jumps on him, stabs him. That's the end of it. Yeah. It's, um, well, it's especially upsetting because even if you look at the shots as individual shots, it is a visually very well executed sequence. The shot of Fenton coming out of the darkness, the clinking of the metal hangers again, just to add to like the layer of suspense. Uh, the moment where his face realizes who he's looking at. The shot of Fenton jumping from a profile angle uh, as as Michael goes down backwards. He's still holding the glass in his hand. It just shows you how quick this moment is. He doesn't even drop the glass. He just, it falls right with him. Uh, and then all of a sudden, it's done. And it's like, this should have been, uh, show me the struggle. If you can do that, make it look that effective, Show me more. Why are you not showing me more? That's the $10,000 question with this film. And I think, you know, I, I gave my opinion on it, uh, but still, I don't, I don't know. There's so many missed opportunities here. Back at the prom, the DJ announces that they're going to take a 15 minute break and then come back and announce the king and queen of the prom, which they're trying to make this whole king and queen thing such a big deal or a big part of the plot and it just not very interesting because really the only king and queen candidates we know are fucking Chrissy and and uh Lisa uh, and they trying to they're trying to build it up to be like this huge pivotal moment in the plot and it's just I don't care honestly. Well, and it's all they have. It's not like you've been it's not like Lisa's been given so much time to make her so likable and you want to root for her. No, like literally like she has a little bit of dialogue with her best friend and then she's buttonheads with Chrissy. And that's like what defines that character. I mean, I I like her. She's probably my favorite character in the in the of the group of friends as I mentioned at the beginning of the of the review, only because she is given uh, some personality. She is given little moments of stuff to do beyond being this, you know, one dimensional, uh, cliche stereotype of character. She's given these little moments where she can shine and, and actually when her chasing coming up, she's really good. Um, but I do like her little budding heads with Chrissy. It just gives the movie, uh, a little bit more of, uh, attitude or flair to keep me interested. But again, it's, it's quick. It's, it's certainly not, I mean, it, these moments are few and far between, but at least it's something. So uh, there, we get introduced to Chrissy's boyfriend, Rich, right? Ricky Rich played by Kellen Lutz, who, yeah, he went on to do, um, Nightmare on Elm Street remake and all kinds of stuff. Very underutilized here. Very underutilized. Like, why is he even in the film? There's no point. It's just her, Chrissy's boyfriend. She goes up to him to bitch that he, he wants to go up to the room with her. And she's like, no, they're going to announce prom queen and king in a few minutes. And he's like, so? He totally doesn't care. She's like, well, what if you don't, what if uh, her boyfriend wins? I don't want to be crowned with him. He's like, well, so what? Who cares? Like, you might not even win anyways. And I love that her little entourage behind her gives him like, really dirty looks like how dare you say that she's not going to win 
these these bitches do do they do those two bitches behind her do they have a word of dialogue throughout the whole movie or do they just stand behind her and in soft focus like you just see like you see them faintly in the background like cackling i do like i like the way that Kevin Lutz's character is written, to be honest. Like, he's so unfazed by the prom. I wish they would have given me more. I feel like they literally got him for two days maximum. And they're like, we're putting him in this scene, in this scene, in this scene. We're writing it around him. And we're getting him in, getting him out. The That's where the budget's at, I'm assuming. I don't know. Because he is so underutilized. Like, as one of the few people at that point who was really starting to make a name for themselves, um, it baffles me that they wouldn't have given him more and it's funny because there are some moments troy where like like there's the one moment later where he uh tells bobby about about claire going back in and bobby's like you could have told me sooner man and like he you have a moment that like lingers on kevin lutz where he's like what's going on oh like it seems like it seems like his character is gonna go somewhere and then you never see him again like it's like what's the point of having him another pretty face i mean to be honest with you i think he is pretty i mean this cast is pretty pretty good looking all the way around um but like i i don't know i hadn't seen this film forever and i remember him being in this film a lot longer than what he really is i don't know why maybe it's because it's kellen lutz and he's the biggest name so you assume he's gonna be in the movie more but he's literally in two scenes Back at the table with the group that's left alive, Lisa's talking about how she wants to win because it, she knows it'll eat away at Chrissy forever. And she's like, can you imagine going to the reunions knowing that I won prom queen? Um, and there's this little sentimental moment where Donna's like, hey, you know, we really need to stop and acknowledge that this is a really sad moment. We're going away here at this is our last big gathering we're not going to see each other every day on a daily basis and so they try to give you a little sentimental moment again it's very cliche it's very what you would expect there's nothing you know surprising about what they're talking about very cookie cutter dialogue the clerk this this inept clerk who can't recognize people from a picture that were literally standing in front of him five minutes ago he is trying to get maria on her walkie but she's not answering and maria is the maid the hotel maid that we saw get brutally murdered he asks the bellman named sims to go check on her i believe i could get this wrong i can't remember you know one of these actors i don't know if it's the clerk or the bellman i think it's the bellman is joshua leonard from the blair witch project so he asks sims to go check on maria to see where she's at so he conveniently goes up to the third floor why he would go to that floor who knows but he goes to the third floor you look at this guy and you're like you are clearly here to die <laughs> like the moment you get your eyes on this blonde-haired uh foppish individual you're like god okay you have only so long to live i i'm predicting two scenes maximum maximum he doesn't even get he doesn't even get the hat <laughs> he, doesn't get that. he just walks upstairs and here's another moment in which he interacts, so he interacts with Fenton, and Fenton is like, he asks Fenton, he's like, have you seen the maid? Because her cart's in the hallway, so he's, he knows she has to be near there. Um, and Fenton's like, yes, she's in here. She's folding down my bed. And the- He says it in the most ominous way possible, too. Uh- I'm sorry. That blonde homosexual man, you know what he's looking at right now is he's seeing this guy and he's like, this fucker is trying to get me. Did you, I know when he says it, did you, did you you notice how his eyes light up? 
Oh, he's like, oh, thank God. He's like, oh, I was hoping you wanted it. Oh, and he marches right in. And then he proceeds to get <laughs> the tackle to the bed. In what is, I have to say, one of the single most shockingly comedic <laughs> shots I've seen in a horror movie. Unintentionally comedic shots at that. Um, in a long time. I forgot how much this shot made me laugh when I saw it. It's he gets tackled to the bed and it does this aggressive cut to his mouth just screaming like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> but like it's like it's a really exaggerated lens, so his mouth is like right up in the camera and it's so like out of fucking nowhere. It makes me laugh every time. I don't find it scary at all. I think it's actually rather funny. Yeah, it's a again the trend continues a very lackluster deaths but yeah well i don't know what they what they're doing but yeah they get a close-up of his face and he's just like Bleh! i don't know if he's being well, is he being choked or yeah they're trying they're trying to make it like they're trying to make it like really shocking because they do these really hard cuts lots of audio lots of flair in the audio department but nothing in the sense of violence or blood. So yeah, you just see this guy's face screaming, but it's too quick to really like get a grasp of what's happening. <laughs> so it's just like really awkward cut. It's really funny. I, I It makes me laugh my ass off. And, and one of the biggest head scratching moments of the film for me, Roger is right here. When we were just told by the DJ, he announced it to everyone that they're getting ready to announce the prom King and queen, right? And after that, we get a very serious moment with Lisa telling her friends how much she wants to win prom queen because she knows that it'll piss Chrissy off. So what do they decide to do? What, what, what do Lisa and Ronnie decide to do at this very moment right before they're getting ready to announce prom queen? She just declare that she hopes she wins. They go up to the fucking goddamn. They go up to the fucking room. Like, listen, she's been talking about this all night long. All night long. That's all this. This all this girl talks about is the fucking her competitive element, uh, her competitive storyline with fucking Chrissy and her goddamn needing to win prom queen. That's all this character has. So then, when it is on the cusp of that time, within minutes, it's minutes away. She decides it's a good time to go up to the fucking hotel room with her lovely boyfriend. To get some dick. It's mind-boggling. Yes, he's beautiful. It's be but that's all you've been talking about. Why now it do makes you not care? Zero sense. It's again lazy, inept writing. But as they are getting on the elevator, Mr. Fenton's coming off and she catches a glimpse of them. A glimpse of Mr. Fenton, and then for the next five minutes, she cannot shut up about how she, that guy looks so familiar. Who is that? I recognize him. Those eyes. He looks so familiar. And her boyfriend's like, Jesus Christ, just shut up about it. Um, I mean, I get it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get it. They get, but they get to the room and they start making out. You know, she's like, I just, I cannot shake the feeling that I know he looks so familiar. And Ronnie's like, Come on, baby. Not now. Just kiss me. And they start making out. Um, in the meantime, they are totally missing the lesbian gym teacher calling all the prom king and queen candidates on stage. Well, and leading up to this, I also have to acknowledge they've been playing a goddamn motherfucking slideshow that is so long. It literally runs the course of about four 
sequences, this slideshow keeps going and going. The faces of the children, of the teenagers, it, it, never ending. Finally, the lesbian reels it in. <laughs> she says, let's get this, let's get this fucking show on the road. And so she takes the stage and gets very excited about the fact they're going to be announcing the, the prom queen and king candidates. They, pu- they call them all up to stage, including Chrissy, uh, Rick, uh, some other random people we've never met. And then she gets to Lisa and Ronnie. And of course they're nowhere to be found. So, Oh, cause they getting it on. They're getting it on. <laughs> and you know, Donna is like, uh, Bobby, you better go get them, call them. So they're trying to call. They're trying to get them down there uh, to no avail because they, the phone's not ringing. They took the phone off the hook and she, she's not, Lisa's not paying attention to her phone. In the meantime, we get this scene where the police or the hotel security, I don't know who it is, is taking detect young detective Nash out to the parking lot because they have come across a vehicle that is f- the vehicle of a man who has been reported missing for the last three days. And it just happens to be in this parking lot. So they get to this vehicle and they pop open the trunk and lo and behold, there is a dead body in the trunk. So I guess that answers my question about how he got 3000 miles. <laughs> to this prom because he killed this poor gentleman and drove his car all the way to the prom. The way they reveal this is in my opinion, when this film goes, it completely sheds its slasher skin and goes full police procedural Uh, because this feels very much like something from like a CSI where like, you know, body found in a trunk. You didn't see what happened. You didn't see the kill sequence. It's just a plot point. Oh, you know, this is only a slasher. Might as well not show the kill just like every other wannabe kill scene in this movie. So yeah, it's just like, oh, random body in a trunk. Let's make it more about the police aspect than it is about the violence or the body reveal. It starts to lean really heavy into thriller police procedural territory from this point moving forward. And it pretty much stays there too. Back in the suite, Lisa and Ronnie are going hot and heavy when all of a sudden she pushes him away and she's like, oh my God. It's Mr. Fenton. It's him. So she immediately runs out of the room to she's going, she wants, apparently she wants to run down to warn Donna. She hits the elevator. It won't open. It's taking way too long. So what does she do? She goes into the stairwell, tries to run down the stairs and these heels doesn't work in her favor because her heel snaps and she goes tumbling down the, the stairs and what looks to be a very painful fall. Yeah. This sequence that, unfolds from here um is the closest to a homage towards the original film you're going to get from this movie and the only reason it is that is because it takes a very simple element from a scene that worked in the original film which is wendy's chase scene in that stunning bright red dress that just popped against those dark blacks even when the footage is at its worst quality that's that scene still pops because of like bright color that red so in this film she's in a bright blue dress similar kind of concept they get her on the mezzanine level which earlier was disclosed to be under construction so you have this whole floor 
of the hotel that is dark, that is shadow, that is the things that you acknowledge that worked from the original film, Troy. Um, and it really is probably the closest to a successful sequence uh, over the course of this film. It's just bare bones, though. It, it does not feel nearly enough. Uh, you need, you want so much more from this moment. It's a cool set piece, and it is, I think, the standout moment of the film only because it's the most suspenseful. Up until this point, this film has really lacked any buildup, any suspense, any stalking. But she gets a pretty good chase thing, scene through this dark, um, creepy uh, level that is being, like you said, is having construction done. So there's all this plastic hanging around that she gets to run into. There's this moment where she's running from the killer and she goes into this room and these a flock of birds just pigeons or something fly out of the wind window and scare the shit out of her. I do like the moment where she does um, hide under some plastic covering. And as she's there and the killer is, is walking around, actually there's a moment where Ronnie actually appears on the elevator. The elevator stops on this floor and opens and he is like standing in the elevator and she can see him clearly. She's not that far from him. And he's like, Lisa, Lisa, are you there? And she's too scared to answer him, unfortunately. I mean, I don't know what I would do in that situation, but I maybe would have tried to run. I don't know. Yeah, I would rather him be there than not. You know what I mean? I'd rather him be there to help me than not. Um, And you're right. It really is the closest to being a standout moment. It just doesn't. I mean, again, 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 it's the one thing we keep saying. I don't want to beat the dead horse, but. It's never allowed to go to its full pinnacle. It feels very much like a cock tease. You know, you finally get the moment where Fenton confronts her and she's running and she's running backwards because she thinks she sees him and then he really cuts her off. And it just ends with a blood splatter on plastic. And, um, you know, and, and it's fine. It's fine. It's really it's 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 at times a rather effective sequence. I just wish it was a little bit bigger because her character is pretty much the standout character. Um, but it's fine. It's fine. I mean, she, the death scene. Yeah. The problem is her, w- once she gets to the point where she gets killed, it's very quick, very abrupt. There's all this buildup was for really nothing. Honestly, uh, she doesn't get to put up a fight. She literally runs right into him, <laughs> uh, runs right into him. He grabs her, slits her throat. And yeah, we get a blood splatter on some plastic and that's it. I guess. I'll take it for this film. I just wish it would have been like you said, bigger and they would have just went much more broader with it and and really gave us something that kind of was worthy of a, of a slasher film chase. I mean, that's not that it's bad, but yeah, when you're comparing it to Wendy's chasing in the original, it doesn't hold a candle, you know, at this moment, when detective Wynn is smart enough to, go by the front desk and ask if anybody has checked in under the missing guy's name. And the clerk now finally is, is able to provide some help. He's like, yeah, oh yeah. He checked into room three Oh nine. So when makes the trek up to the third floor, goes into room three Oh nine. And upon searching the room, finds the dead body of poor Maria in the bathtub. This leads to a sequence of, you know, right back down in the ballroom, right as they're getting ready to announce prom King and queen, Ronnie is run back down. He's on the stage. Now he couldn't find Lisa. Lisa's the only one that's missing. 
right as they're getting ready to announce the prom queen and king, the fire alarm goes off. Wynn has pulled the fire alarm and Nash comes in and tells everyone that they must leave the building, exit from the front door, quietly, you know, orderly. There's nothing to worry about. You just need to get out. Chrissy is like, they were just going to announce prom queen. And he's like, too bad. Get out. Uh, and as she's walking away, she's like, well, fuck this. She grabs the um, envelope out of lesbian gym teacher's hand and tears it open to see who won. And she's like, you got to be fucking kidding me. And she throws the env- she throws the card on the floor and her two minions come up behind her and pick the cards up. And guess who won prom king and queen? Ronnie and Lisa. So Lisa got her wish. It was just you know, about two minutes too late. It's her own. It's her own fault, though. It's her own fault. She should not have gone up to the suite. You know, but at least she was trying to help her friend. You know, I mean, I give her that. At least she goes out on a note of like kind of being like a stand-up friend, trying to go warn Donna. Um, I, I, the one of the few things this movie does manage to do strangely is like the whole situation with Ronnie. Uh, looking for Lisa after the fact and being concerned for her. I actually think it's very sad. It's one of the few emotional strings this movie manages manages to pull, uh, to hit on. And um, for some reason, it, 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 it strikes a chord with me. So that is really sad. To is, yeah, I mean, he's very sullen from this point forward. He always, all he does throughout the rest of the film is ask people if they've seen Lisa. Have you seen Lisa? Have you seen Lisa? Oh, and we do get the shot of when Lisa gets up to, uh, to leave the, the suite when they're making out, when she recognizes, we do get a shot of he pulls out the um, ring box out of his suit pocket He was that he was going to propose to her. Again, bad idea, kid. You're in high school. Calm, your, calm yourself down. You don't need to be proposing in high school to this girl. I do. I do find it interesting since you're bringing up Ronnie that he is one. He's the one character that they let that this movie lets live. Yeah, which makes him feel like he serves even less purpose than I initially assumed. You know, it doesn't seem like they really do him a favor. It just makes him seem super disposable, like because he doesn't get involved in in anything moving forward. You know, he's not like part of the final showdown. He's just left sad. I wish better for him, <laughs> you know, like they don't kill him off. They don't do anything. They just kind of let him just be sad. Um, on the way out, as all the kids are leaving this, you know, leaving the ballroom, leaving the hotel, Donna realizes that she forgot her mother's shawl up in the suite and she has to go back up and get it. I have heard some pretty ridiculous reasons in films to get characters to go certain places. This has to be the right at the top of that list, Roger. It's not like the hotel, like there's nothing, they're just being evacuated. It's not like there was an earthquake. It's not like the hotel is getting ready to blow up. There's plenty of, t- it could be on fire. It could be burning. Who cares? <laughs> Leave that fucking shawl up there. She's on the third That's floor. What I'm saying. Um, but she goes back to get this shawl. And on the way, she does tell Rick, if you see Bobby, tell him I had to go back up to the room to get this shawl. It's ugly. Leave it there. Let it burn. Because what it does is it almost gets the poor girl killed. It just doesn't make sense. Like, I understand the aunt brought it up. This is an example, again, of lazy writing. The aunt brought it up at one point. She gave it to her simply as a plot device. Here is the shawl. It means a lot. 
And then you don't see the shawl again. She leaves it in the bedroom. And now it's now it's important. Now the shawl isn't so important. So she has to go back to get the shawl now. It hasn't even seemed remotely meaningful or important to her since she fucking left it on the bed. So it's just like, again, lazy, lazy writing. I don't believe this as a motivation whatsoever. But okay, let's get her up to the goddamn hotel room where everybody else is dying. And she gets up to the hotel room, and what is the first thing she does when she gets in there? She bumps into a she, fucking lamp. She, God, she hits that goddamn fucking lamp. She's going to cause some bills for whoever is paying, for whatever parent got stuck paying for this deluxe hotel room, because you know the kids aren't paying for it. So yeah, she's going to rack up some bills knocking over shit and busting lamps. She, she opens the closet to get the shawl, or to look for the shawl, and there is this moment where we do see Fenton behind her reaching towards her. But when she turns around, he's gone. I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense because he's in the room at this moment. But then literally 30 seconds later, he's out in the hallway. Yeah. I mean, they're trying to build a little suspense. Like, okay, hats off to them for trying. Um, It doesn't really go anywhere. It just kind of like lingers for a little bit, but it doesn't make sense. It's distracting, if anything. Well, I mean, she she gets the shawl. She goes to open the suite door to go back out in the hallway to go down to the to get out of the building. And he's standing right there. So 20 seconds ago, 30, he was behind her getting ready to touch her. And now he's outside of the in the hallway. Zero sense. Anyways, we'll go with it. Uh, And he sees her and he's like, oh, there's not a moment I haven't thought about you. And this leads to a rather lackluster confrontation between heroine, if you want to call her that, and villain. She basically tries to go out one door, then she goes to the other door. She's locking the doors. He's breaking in. Once he starts breaking in, she just stands in place and she screams. She just flails and screams. Like, I mean, which I get it. Like, I get it. I have been there when I have been so overwhelmed that I just don't know exactly what to do. But, um... There are a few things about this moment that I do like. Briefly, I like the alarm in the background. I like the kind of just that it finally has a moment where there is like a tone established that is creepy. You've got the, the siren going off. You've got the flashing light, which is really used well when he enters the room and you see his face light up occasionally against the darkness. Um, but it's so brief. It's so, so brief. Um, and, and this, it's not a showdown. It's literally just her running from him. She just manages to get herself in a place where she can, you know, keep him at bay. Well, she gets under the bed again. Once he's breaking the door down, she gets under the bed. Um, and under the bed, she sees Claire's dead body. So she has to let out a little scream, a little cry. And he hears her. Before anything happens, we cut back down to outside where Rick is telling Bobby and Wynn that Donna went back up to the suite to get the shawl. And this is when you said this is the moment where uh, Bobby's like, you couldn't have told me that sooner. I'm like, no, I wouldn't have told you. I mean, did you come and ask me? (laughs) Um, But anyway, so they're like, oh, shit, we got to get up there. So in the suite, back up in the suite, Fenton finds the shawl and bends down to look for Donna. And she is able to roll out from under the bed and takes off. She opens the door and runs right into Wynn uh, and tells him he's in the room. They're dead. They go up to the room. Don't find anything. 
cops are there looking and all of a sudden there's this moment where like blood drips onto the bed that they're standing around and they look up and there's a vent in the ceiling and blood is dripping down from the vent. So Wynn is able to get up there on the bed and open the vent and look in and we see that fucking Sims, that bellhop is up there dead, but he's like not in his uniform anymore. His clothes are been, have been taken off. So it gives Wynn the realization that that is how, what's his name? Fenton had to have escaped was to put on this bellhop uniform and walk out of the hotel. And when we say dead, this man, like he has like a shiner and a little bit of blood <laughs> coming out of his there wasn't enough blood coming out of him to justify it dripping from the ceiling. Just, That's for damn it sure. It doesn't make sense at all. Um, and again, you thought the police procedural vibes were heavy before. Oh my God. Like, I really feel like we're just watching just like a strictly a, a cop, like a buddy cop movie at this point between Detective Wynn and Detective Nash because they're really becoming more of the focus than anything. Like, I feel like Donna is kind of taking like a, a, a like a, a passenger seat for a little bit. Like her story is still important, but this is really like revolving around what the detectives are finding out about this guy. Cause he's still on the run. Uh, and they do have a moment where Michael does fall out of the, the, the one uh, cabinet as well. So they're starting to find the kids too. Oh yeah. And then they find as they, as they, a whole SWAT, a whole SWAT team actually shows up to this hotel. And as when, and Nash are um, exploring the hotel, they do actually find Lisa's body as well. And it's been determined that Nash is going to take Donna home to her aunt and uncles and stay there with her. Bobby, of course, wants to go along with her. So he goes with them. They, they drive her back to um, the house. Donna is, of course, she's crying and upset that her friend got killed. Uh, and Bobby's trying to comfort her. Now, I don't know. I mean, I guess. The, the 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 aunt and uncle are perfectly fine with her boyfriend like totally just like sleeping with her that night i mean i think they're thinking along the lines of like this girl just went through another horrible trauma i think the last thing that this guy's going to try to do is take advantage of her right now she just needs someone to support her so it's I a mean, teenage like, I, it's a teenage guy roger i know but he seems on. the only trait he has is that he's nice he's at least up. expecting to get a hand job out of the deal i guarantee it i'm sure he'll put it on layaway where she can, <laughs> you know he'll, he'll come back for it down the line um <laughs> but no I, I again and this is a more scenarios that in other movies i think would work so much better like the whole fact that he comes back to the house with her and leaving that chaos going on back at the hotel like this sequence what happens with him you're setting up for what should be a, an awesome kick-ass finale and like a big badass finale where this girl should finally like rise up against this guy this guy who's t- t- taken her whole life from her, her family, pretty soon her boyfriend. Let's be fucking real. Like, this is should be this big, massive con- uh, conclusion for her. And it just all feels, again, so neutered. That's my word of the day, neutered. This movie has no balls. But, and what they do to the Bobby character, for, to me, is almost infor- unforgivable as well. Like, you make him this focal point of the film from this point forward where he is this great guy that's going to go home with her. He's staying with her. He's comforting her. And then to have what happens to him happen again, terrible decision, terrible decision. 
Wynn has realized now that, you know, Fenton got out of the hotel in the, in the bellhops uniform. So he's in the car rushing to Donna's house. He calls Nash on the radio and tells Nash, Hey, you need to be alert. You get your ass to that house. You don't take your eyes off the door. He's on his way there. We do get another medicine cabinet scene. This movie cannot quit it with the fucking medicine cabinets. God damn it. Too many medicine cabinet scares. Yeah, and she has a dream. It's well, she gets her little pills out of the medicine cabinet, takes her pill, shuts the medicine cabinet door. Behind her is Mr. Fenton. He grabs her head and smashes it into well, he's gonna smash it into the um the the mirror before she wakes up, and it's just a dream. Just a dream. But then she goes through the motions of everything and it's eerily similar to what she just dreamed, including her looking down out the window and seeing Detective Nash go through the exact same physical motions she just dreamt. So she's like, was it a dream? And for a second, it feels very like, I don't know, Nightmare on Elm Street or something. Like It's like, what, what is this movie trying to do now? Because it was just a cop procedural for about 40 minutes. Yeah, and now Wynn is trying to call the house and he can't get through. So he calls Nash on the radio again. He's like, dude, you need to go in to tell her parents or to tell her aunt and uncle that, you know, they need to be alert. And when Nash gets out of the car, he does notice that the phone line uh, on the side of the house has been cut. Dun, dun, dun. Donna is back uh, done in the bathroom. She gets back in bed with Bobby. He's he's now sleeping. He was looked wide awake when she got out of the when she went to the bathroom now he's like a big you know lump on the bed so she's like bobby are you are you okay at the same moment when gets there in his car gets out runs over to nash's police car and we see that nash is dead has been stabbed in the neck Barely. We barely see it. If You've got to like squint your eyes and there's yeah, a little blood. Yeah, but then again, Nash has been a pretty, I don't want to say a prominent character, but a pretty, he's been in the film quite a bit. And then just like, they're just going to discard him in, in a in a quick cut. You get to see him sitting in the police. Very much reminding me of like Black Christmas, you know, where the cop is murdered outside and everyone's trying to call, but the cop has been killed. But again, I think that you know, for a character that like Nash, who has been prominent throughout the film, could we have not have, could he not had a moment? Could we not have had some suspense where, you know, I mean, I know it's even more cliche, but he got in the, he's, you know, searching the property, gets back in the car and all of a sudden the killer pops out and and kills. No, we just get to see his dead body revealed. The same exact thing now happens with Bobby because he's not answering Donna. So she shakes him and turns him over and he is dead. There is a, appears to be a wound on his neck. Yeah, it's very much like a slit throat, but uh, you barely see it. There's two separate shots where you see glimpses of it. It's it's quite lackluster. And it's like, as you were saying, for this character, um, you're, you're setting it up to be this guy who all you're giving me is that he's apparently this nice stand up guy. And you don't even give him a chance to like, I don't know, somehow defend himself, even have a real actual kill sequence. It just felt like such a lame fucking like copping out, if anything. I feel like they really did not do him fair. No. And then it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth in terms of like thinking about the Donna character and like Jesus Christ, like you couldn't you couldn't give her like one you know, 
joy left in her life. Like you're literally, you're killing her boyfriend too. Her parents have been killed. Her brother was killed. Her friends are killed and her boyfriend comes home with her to protect her. And you get, he's murdered in bed. We don't even get to see it. He doesn't even get to put up a fight, but now literally everyone that this girl has had any sort of relationship with has been murdered. And who's the one that gets to walk around, you know, perfectly fine. It's Ronnie of all the, of all characters. He is the one that's allowed to live. It's just, it's just a weird choice, a weird choice. We do get to, and we're, there is the scene where Ronnie does find out that uh, Lisa's body has been found. So he has his little emotional breakdown and then we never see him again. But uh, when uh, Donna finds uh, Bobby's body, she hops out of bed and then she hears someone coming down the hallway. We see the shadow coming down the hallway. She runs into the closet to hide more closets. Um, and she's there looking and the person comes into the room and is like, Donna. And she looks and it's, it's detective Wynn. And just as she's ready to get out of the closet to confront him, Fenton grabs her from behind. He's in the closet. This guy is in every fucking closet. How does he know that these characters are going to go into closets? But he grabs her, pulls her, holds a knife to her throat. And it's like, don't fucking move. And, Detective Wynn is like searching the room. And in the meantime, Mr. Fenton is like whispering to her, Oh, you're ready to be with me. And he's like kissing her ear. It's kind of uncomfortable. Um, it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we hear her aunt scream. So Detective Wynn runs out of the room. And what we find out is that the aunt has seen the dead body of the uh, other police officer out in the backyard. Uh, Donna takes this moment of distraction to kick. Uh, Mr. Fenton in the groin and get out of the closet. And there is this, I guess you want to say a struggle between the two of them. It's pretty lame. Like she screams. She doesn't really fight back. Like she does kick him a couple times, but he throws her on the floor and he is getting ready to stab her. And you see like in his face that he doesn't like want to do it, but he's going to have to do it. And as he's raising the knife, Mr. Detective Wynn comes in and shoots him several times in the torso and chest. He falls and Donna rolls out of the way just in time. So he doesn't fall on her and that's it. (laughs) I mean, that's literally the end of the film. I mean, it's, I can't really explain. I mean, it's, it's, it's so quick. The Donna character is given nothing really to do like is that she gets a few kicks in but i would have liked to have seen like an elaborate chasing um you know i'm going back to the first one at least in the first film you had that really heavy emotional gut punch when you realize that jamie lee curtis and when she realizes that she killed her brother that he was the killer the whole time this gives you none of that yeah donna doesn't even get to kill no fenton i would have been I would have been okay. I, I think the ending, I would have been okay with the ending if it would have been, if she would have got to kill this guy. This guy has literally killed everybody that she's cared about. Why Why would you take that moment away from her and let this detective win kill the guy? Well, and building up to it, like, there are a few little moments here and there that I'm like, okay, okay. Like the moment of her in the closet. For a, mil- for a moment, it feels very much like someone's like, 
I watched Halloween once. <laughs> like, you know, but then you, you twist it around where he's in the closet behind her and she's almost about to say something when he grabs her. Like that moment is, it, it pops a little for me. I didn't expect it, but then like, it just never, much like every other issue that's come before it, it never lets it get any better or bigger or more exciting. It always just cuts it off right when it's about to get good. And it leaves such a bad taste in your mouth because you, you imagine like what could have been like, yeah, she has so many reasons to be a kick-ass final girl. She's gone through so much. She has nothing left. You just took the one last thing she had, a nice fucking boyfriend. At least she had that. You killed her, you motherfucker. I want to see her take a, like a fucking power drill to his face. I want to see her set him on fire and watch him burn. And instead, she doesn't get to do anything. She just kind of lays there and struggles. And then he gets shot by another man and almost falls on her. But whoop, she rolls out of the way. Like, that's it. And then she hugs her family and it pulls out of the house into the night sky as more cop cars arrive. And it's just like, oh man, like she is not done right at all. <laughs> you set it up so this girl has had so much torment, and so much torture, and you never let her unleash that. Like, I don't fucking need to watch this. This is lame. Give me better character development. But you're not going to get it. I mean, this film does about everything you can think of a film doing. This film does it wrong. It's cliche after cliche, uninteresting characters, uh, and any characters that do show a spark of having some sort of personality or interest are severely underutilized. To me, this is definitely one of the most, the dullest, uh, tedious slasher films to come out. In probably the last 30 years. I mean, it's and, and to, to think that this made it into theaters, just mind boggling. I, I, I There's just nothing really positive to say about this film. No, and I wish this is one of those cases where it's a movie where like, you know, we could come in and defy the odds and be like, you know what? All of you are wrong. There's something to enjoy about this movie. But, um... There's, there's like not, <laughs> there's stuff. It really is that lame. It is. I mean, it's okay. Character goes up to the a hotel room, opens a closet door, gets stabbed. Repeat, 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 repeat. I mean, that is the film uh, surrounded by an uninteresting, annoying prom set piece um, that really doesn't the problem with this film is that it doesn't even, like we mentioned, it doesn't feel like it's a real prom um, the, the location is so, uh, not conducive to creating a effective slasher environment at all. Um, say for the, the, the Lisa chasing through the, um, you know, the renovated floor. Uh, but even that ends with a limp, you know, I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, I, I, I don't, I I cannot see myself ever watching this film again. Uh, a dull, dull, dull. I mean, I wouldn't even intro. I wouldn't even like use this film to 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 show to like young kids to get them because it's so like 
bland and not bloody, uh, it still wouldn't torture kids by making them watch this. There, there's plenty of other choices. I don't know what the filmmakers were thinking when they did this film, but to me, huge fail, huge missed opportunity, giant, giant thumbs down. Yeah. You know, I, what I really think is honestly, and I mean this, I fucking mean this, the, the biggest issue for me, if you're going to go in and call this prom night, how dare you end this movie anywhere that isn't a fucking disco dance floor. Like, I'm sorry, like (laughs) the prom night. One of the things that I think is the most celebrated is though it is brief. The the final showdown is brief. That whole sequence is striking and memorable. And it, that's when they really allow the prom element of everything to shine. It's not like it's bombarding you with only prom the whole time. There's people driving around in vehicles and drinking in the back of trucks. And, you know, like that has so much more character to it. This, all it has is the prom. Yet when it comes to the main centerpiece, the final showdown, the big reveal, whatever you're going to do with it, how dare you remove it from the prom and not let it bask in that and in what it is and what made the original film so memorable with that final showdown like that it just did everything Mm -hmm. wrong all of the things that worked about the original film it ignored and for that it failed it really would have done better to have treated it truly like a remake and paid a little more homage to what worked before i'm not even sure the the screenwriter and the filmmakers behind this even watched the original to be honest with you it just doesn't feel like any uh, besides the chase scene but even that i think probably could have been just accidental i don't really think that lisa's chase scene in this film is an homage to wendy's chase scene at all to be honest but uh, so yeah i mean what else is there to say that is prom night 2008 probably one of the worst horror re- remakes out there, along with April Fool's Day, uh, The Fog. I know Slasher Junkie mentioned that on Instagram or Facebook. Those two would be a good, he said, a good triple feature. I don't think so. I would cut my wrists. But uh, definitely <laughs> one of the worst of this, the horror remakes. This is one that I really think is one that gives the whole idea of remakes a bad name for many horror fans. At least the fog has fucking Selma Blair. This doesn't and even Tom, have that. Tom Welling. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll look at that for an elongated me- period of time. Uh, and now, <laughs> no, no, look at me. I, sw- I swear to God, what did I tell you earlier? And I was, I totally thought that this was going to be one of our shortest episodes. Here we I are. I was like, there's not much to talk about with this piece of shit. It's going to be a short. Nope. Two, two and a half, almost two and a half hours long of prom night. Just what our listeners have always wanted in their lives. But yeah, so that's prom night. We'll we'll wrap this up because this went way longer than I expected and you expected probably. So real quick, Roger, real quick, tell them what our choice is for next week because it's your pick. Yeah. Oh my gosh, no. With all the the Cronenberg hubbub uh, jibber-jabber going on right now, he just recently had his screening of uh, Crimes of the Future which is getting all kinds of love and attention. And it looks pretty fucking crazy. Kristen Stewart. Uh, Little he's released. We love Kristen Stewart. I'll never say no to Kristen Stewart. Um, I wanted to go back. I wanted to go back into his catalog 
uh, and explore something maybe a little, a little more, a little more obscure. Um, so I figured I would go for The Brood, nineteen seventy nine. The Brood. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm feeling that era right now. Uh, I figure let's take it back and let's take it to something kind of crazy. I want something that's going to fuck with my head. Yeah, we haven't done a film from the 70s in quite a while. So uh, The Brood, I have not seen it in a long time. I do remember it has one of the most, uh, a scene that truly terrified me as a child. And I'm sure you know which one it is. I'm sure everyone that seen the brood have se- has seen The Brood knows what, what I'm talking about. Truly terrifying scene. So I'm super excited to discuss The Brood with you next week. It's It'll be a nice palate cleanser from talking about prom night. However, you know, if you're a teenager, you have you have children that are teenagers, their prom is probably gone and passed. Hopefully they had a much better time than these folks did at this prom in this film. Um, but yeah, so that's it. We again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening again. Check out our Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Patreon.com backslash Dark Knight of the Podcast. Apple Podcast Reviews. Give us a five star rating. And until next week. When we do some Cronenberg stuff, (laughs) we will talk to you later. I'm going to go pass out like it's the night after my prom. Oh, I feel like it's the night after my prom talking about this piece of shit for two and a half hours. Seriously, snoozer. Oh, my God. I feel like I took a sedative. All right. You guys have a good night. We love you. Love you. Good night. Prom night. (laughs) No, 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 no.